Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that probes the issues of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have new stories with David Campbell, including Volkswagen to pay up to $127 million in Australia for their Dieselgate scandal. We have some motoring minutes on the Peugeot 508, the Honda Civic, Infiniti leaving Australia and Mazda Rotaries. Rob Fraser and I have a chat about his trip up the coast, and then he and I discuss in some detail Hyundai's latest SUV. You can find more, you can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au. All previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's start the program first with the news. Volkswagen has agreed to pay up to 127 million Australian dollars to settle a class action stemming from the 2015 diesel emissions scandal. The settlement was announced in the federal court in Sydney and has yet to be approved by a judge. Volkswagen will pay between 87 million dollars and 127 million dollars depending on how many owners of the affected 100,000 Volkswagen, Audi and Skoda diesel vehicles sold in Australia actually join the class action. Volkswagen said in a statement that it made no omission of liability in the settlement. Volkswagen has also agreed to pay the plaintiff's legal costs, which have yet to be assessed. Volkswagen has paid 30 billion euros in fines and civil settlements around the world after it was revealed that the world's second-largest automaker installed software on diesel vehicles to cheat on emissions tests. Laws forcing New South Wales drivers to slow to 40 km per hour past emergency services will be made official on September 26, after the completion of a 12-month trial. Over 900 fines have been issued during the trial, designed to better protect emergency services working on the roadside. Drivers are forced to slow to 40 kilometres per hour when they pass police, ambulance and fire services with their lights flashing, and face fines of $446 if they don't. The details will change slightly when the law officially comes into force, Along with emergency services, drivers will need to slow to 40 kilometres per hour when passing tow trucks and motorway recovery vehicles with their yellow lights flashing. However, drivers won't need to slow down to 40 kilometres an hour on roads with speed limits of 90 kilometres per hour or over. Instead, drivers will need to slow to a safe and reasonable speed and to give sufficient space to those working on the roadside. According to research from New South Wales Roads and Maritime Services, 85% of crashes involving roadside emergency services happen in 80 km per hour speed zones or below. Ford has a secret prototype under development in Australia that could see the return of the car-based ute. Ford Australia was credited as being the first company to create what we know as a ute two-seater utility on a car platform. But the local ute program ended with the Ford Falcon ceasing production in 2016 and the Holden Commodore a year later. 
However, Wheels magazine has seen engineering documents that show the company is working on a ute project using traditional car underpinnings. The prototype uses the Ford Focus C2 platform. The program is in its infancy and will form the basis of a new nameplate for the Ford brand. However, while it is currently undergoing development in Australia, it remains unclear whether the Mini Ute will be sold here. Ford had previously floated plans to build a Focus-based pickup, possibly badged as the Courier, in Mexico for export in 2021. Tesla is set to reveal its futuristic all-electric pickup truck in November, according to the company's founder, Elon Musk. The Tesla Ute, which Musk had previously described as really futuristic, like cyberpunk Blade Runner pickup truck, was originally meant to be unveiled in mid-2018. That date was pushed back to October this year, however Musk casually announced this will now most likely occur in November in response to a question on Twitter which set the Tesla fan base into overload. Musk has previously stated that the Tesla pickup will be priced from about 70000 Australian dollars. By the time it is eventually launched in Australia, it might already have competition from the EV rival Rivian, which plans to sell its R1T dual cab ute here as soon as 2022. Toyota has expanded its Takata recall for the 2001-2003 Avensis, the 2001-2007 Corolla, and the 2006-2011 Yaris sedan. As with all Takata-related recalls, airbags in the affected vehicles are fitted with propellant that could degrade when exposed to heat and humidity. If one of those cars is in an accident where the airbags are deployed, the metal inflator housing could explode under too much internal pressure, sending shrapnel shooting into the cabin. There's a serious risk of injury or death should a faulty Takata airbag be involved in an accident. A total of 82,700 vehicles are included in the expanded recall. Toyota will contact owners of the affected vehicles and advise them to organise a free replacement inflator with their nearest dealer. Hyundai Australia has announced pricing and specification for its all-new venue, small SUV, which arrives in local showrooms this month. The venue will be priced from $19,990 plus on-road costs. Sitting beneath the Kona in the South Korean's brand SUV lineup, the venue will effectively act as a replacement for the Accent car, which is slowly being phased out of production. Like other models in Hyundai's lineup, the venue range opens with the entry-level Go, moving up to the mid-spec Active and topping out with the Elite at around $25,500. All variants employ the same powertrain, a front-wheel drive 1.6-litre four-wheel... a front-wheel drive 1.6 four-cylinder petrol unit tuned to develop 90 kilowatts. Go and Active variants come with the choice of six-speed manual or automatic transmission while the Elite is auto only. And that has been the news. 
The Civic is Honda's longest-running and their best-selling model globally. More than 25 million have been handed over to customers. More than 360,000 Civics have been sold in Australia since the early 70s. In February, Honda upgraded their 10th-generation Civic range, adding improved safety and driver assist technologies. And Rob Fraser's been driving the RS sedan. With beautiful design and exclusive Phoenix orange colour, rear spoiler and 18-inch alloys, the RS sedan stands apart from the crowd. It misses out on inbuilt sat-nav, but otherwise is packed with features such as Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, Auto High Beam, a full suite of safety and driver assist technology, as well as little comforts like heated front seats and one-touch windows. Two features worth mentioning are the clever USB port that feeds the cord from below the centre console and the excellent camera system that shows the left-side blind spot on the centre screen. With a 1.5-litre turbo four-cylinder engine and CVT, the performance is sporty, but combined with compliant ride and handling, the driving experience is actually a lot of fun. From a shade under $32,000 plus the usual costs, the Honda Civic RS sedan also comes with a five-year unlimited kilometre warranty. Drive, answering your questions across Australia. Our roving reporter Rob Fraser has made a little bit of a trip, holiday type adventure to up the coast of uh, eastern up the east coast of New South Wales. And uh, we've caught him in Port Macquarie, and he joins us on the line now. But, Rob, have you had a long drive today? Uh, look, it, it has been a long drive, David. It's been a very tiring one. There's a lot of roadworks at the moment up north, so that also makes it a bit more difficult. It makes it uh, very frustrating in a way, doesn't it, where you think that you should be able to open up and uh, keep, you know, make the kilometres in some good time only to be, you know, held back in that. Have you been going down the main highway? Yeah, look, we, we decided to do, we had a, this idea of doing a, like, break out of winter and drive into spring type philosophy, and, and I thought, the best way of doing that was drive up the coast and explore some of the little spots along the way and head from Sydney to Byron Bay and back again. But but what I didn't count on was torrential rain, <laughs> so, which, which certainly hasn't been a problem of late, but apparently the week I decided to go, it decided to rain bucket loads. You drove up to the uh, Byron Bay. How long did that take? Well, we left, we left on Monday from Sydney, stopped at uh, Nelson Bay the first night, a bit of a wander around there. Went to Coffs Harbour the second night and then to Byron the third night. So we sort of we, we took our time going up there. And part of the reason for taking our time was to sort of duck in and explore a few of the places that, that you tend to miss out on just by driving up and down the highway. So we, we, we sort of went in and had a look at you know, Smith's Lakes and um, you know, through Foster and Huncurry and a lot of little places along the way as well makes it much more interesting. I love that. I, I was touring through the hinterland to the west of the Sunshine Coast, and I, exactly that. You, know, you come to the little corn, you know, local store, and uh, you know, which now, of course, must have a coffee machine, but it, it's it's got, as to my mind, 
enough of an activity and enough of a, I use the word quaint, but not in a patronising sense, that, you know, it just has some character to it that you won't get on a major highway. Yeah, if you, if you stick to the major roads, you tend to get the the 24-7 servos that serve food that, well, something that passes for food occasionally. And, you know, you just keep driving. But um, it's interesting going north. The, the area they really should be bypassing is Coffs Harbour because that's just diabolical driving through there at the wrong time. And they haven't done that bit yet. Yes. Um, and the the bit that all the roadworks are at the moment is the bit from just north of Coffs, Wilgorga through to Ballina, which is, um, you know, it's a, it's a reasonable sort of hike. But, yeah, there's a lot of work going on there. And, and I... It struck me as we were driving through, and I don't know if people have driven in that section north of Grafton where you get that uniquely Australian situation where you're driving along and you've got a river on one side, literally cane fields touching the road on the other side. It's a, it's, and, and you get to miss all that when the, the new bypass goes in. So I guess a, a major part of taking a trip like that depends on how comfortable you are while you're driving. What sort of car were you in? Uh, this time we were in a Subaru Outback. Okay. There, uh, there, yeah, and and luckily enough, with all that torrential rain heading north, um, you know, the all-wheel drive system just it made it so comfortable and so safe. It was great. But yeah, now you're right. It was exceptionally comfortable, very smooth, easy. It does chew the kilometres without a fuss. So mm. yeah, I was I was happy with that. It it has a little bit of ground clearance, quite a you know, reasonable ground clearance, given that a lot of the SUVs now are really not got that you know, ground clearance that you used to associate with a four-wheel drive, yet it is really more a station wagon that's grown up necessarily rather than a rough and rugged four-wheel drive that's grown down a little. Did you feel it somewhat station wagon-ish in its, in its feel? Well, it, it does, and, and that's exactly it. It's, it's more of a wagon than a very high-bodied SUV, but it does have the ground clearance. So, yeah, you, you're not you're not sitting upright in that high sort of position. You, it's a, more of a normal station wagon, and and I actually like that. It's quite good. Hmm. The other bit about the ground clearance is a lot of these little areas that we sort of took off and explored. Yeah, some of those we we weren't afraid to head down a dirt track to have a look at a beach or something like that because we could. All right. Well, after the break, we might talk about uh, my experience, which was in an SUV, but. Again, about as far removed from the original derivative of four-wheel drive as you could possibly get. Rob Fraser, I'll catch you up then. Okay, thanks, David. You're listening to Overdrive. The Infiniti brand is Nissan's equivalent to Lexus under the Toyota umbrella, a premium range of vehicles that's not burdened with having the common name. But David Brown reports how that Infinity brand just has not succeeded in Australia. Infinity, Nissan's luxury car brand, has confirmed that it will be pulling out of the Australian and New Zealand markets. The decision is the latest of several steps taken this year towards what it has called centralisation. In March, Infinity said it would discontinue the Q30 and QX30 models, cease production at Nissan's plant in England and exit business in Western Europe. It also said that it would sharpen global operations in North America, where sales have fallen, and China, while continuing to seek growth opportunities in Eastern Europe, 
the Middle East and Asia. Infinity says it is committed to fulfilling its obligations to customers in Australia. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. Peugeot's highly awarded all-new 508 has arrived in Australia. The all-new 508 arrives with impressive credentials, having already amassed numerous design and motoring awards, including a Most Beautiful Car of the Year award. Rob Fraser went along to the launch. After a chequered history in Australia over the last few years, Peugeot is definitely back and the 508 solidifies its position. Offered in Australia in two body styles, a stunning fastback and the practical yet beautiful sports wagon, which is my favourite, it's powered by a 1.6 litre four-cylinder turbo petrol engine mated to an eight-speed automatic. It feels a touch underpowered off the mark but simply hums along when on the move and has excellent chassis dynamics providing an engaging driving experience. Compared to its predecessor, the all-new 508 is lighter, lower, shorter, yet offers greater interior space, more technology, better fuel economy and a sophisticated ergonomically friendly interior. Priced from a shade under $54,000 plus the usual costs and with a complete five-year owner benefit package, there is some strong competition in a shrinking market segment, but the 508 is definitely worth a drive. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. And here we are back after the break. And now, Rob, you went in what is classified as an all-wheel drive vehicle, the uh, Subaru Outback. I've just been in an SUV from Hyundai. Do you know the first SUV Hyundai brought here to our market, 2001, was the Santa Fe. Now, wasn't that a derivative of a four-wheel drive, but with a bit more comfort? You would have enjoyed it for what that was. You've driven plenty of them? I have, and and it has certainly has softened up over the years. The, the first Santa Fe was Quite a practical vehicle, actually. You could take it many places that you wouldn't think you could. Ah, well, that's one end of the market. I've been driving the new Venue, and it's at the other end of the market, both in size, but also perhaps in application and style. It is a small and it's called an SUV. Now, they called it the venue because, clever marketing, they want you to think of it as the place to be. Mm-hmm. I can see that grasped you immediately. <laughs> oh, look, I, I, I just love marketing speak. I really wish I could talk like this. <laughs> yeah. Ah, but they also call it an SUV, and perhaps that's something we need to elaborate on just a little bit. It's a small 1.6 litre. It's only available in two-wheel drive. It is absolutely and utterly aimed at the urban market. It's not just aimed for young people in entry level, but perhaps for older people who want a car with a little bit of height that they don't have to step down into quite as much. A little bit smaller than the Kona 
which we know as the uh, SUV, with, I think, um, some character design about it. It looks like a slightly mini-me Kona. The marketing speak says that it has the rugged looks of an SUV with the SUV style, which has, however, the practicality and manoeuvrability of a small sedan or hatchback. Do you sense the words that I'm coming from here? I do, yes. It's the Clayton's SUV. Well, SUV now is just a tall hatchback. I was going to say, it, it, it's interesting that uh, it, it comes in two-wheel drive only because the Mazda CX-3, which is in the same sort of category, I guess, mm. probably slightly larger i think from memory and, and don't quote exactly but i think from memory over 95 or 97 percent of the vehicles they sell in that cx3 are two-wheel drive yes they still have an all-wheel drive variant available but the overwhelming majority is for the urban suv warrior uh but maybe even that four-wheel drive is almost just an image leader for that particular model yes i was talking to a colleague who had some a friend always you know that terrible question what car should i buy yep. of which you give them several choices and then they go and buy the one they wanted to anyway absolutely yeah we know that they said that no i want to go out there and i bought a nissan x-trail they said oh yeah yeah which uh, variant within it which specification oh this one okay you know that's two-wheel drive is it yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They would never have known. <laughs> nah. I think people buy aspiration more than anything else. Yes. They buy the image of being able to do it. See, another vehicle in that same category is the Honda HRV, all-two-wheel drive. But it looks, it looks good. Yeah, uh, but it's an important car for Hyundai because they're not going to sell the Accent, their little sedan. They're going to sell this. And the interesting point is the entry level is 19990 That wonderful figure that we've associated with a small, medium-sized sedan, the Corolla, you know, the Pulsar, if you go back in Nissan's history. Yes. You know, 19990 And we've had that for 20 years, which is remarkable, given inflation has meant that in real terms it's less money. And the amount of equipment that is in a car is fantastic. But for this one, 19990 But it's the manual of which they won't be selling very many. You've got to add a couple of grand for the automatic. And the top-of-the-range Elite is about $25,500. But the interesting thing is that Hyundai tiptoed around ever saying that it was a replacement. It was just important because the Accent was going. The Accent sold you know, recently for about $17,000 drive away. Mm-hmm. You know, sixteen to seventeen thousand dollars drive away. Now this entry level is twenty thousand. So as always, I think that car companies love the move to SUVs because there's a bit of a price premium on them. Well, yeah, they they can charge a little bit extra for them, and I, and I think the thing with the accent is good car, but just it, it was in the segment that was just dying. So they were probably offering it at that price, but I don't know how many they actually sold. Yeah, well, they were selling a reasonable number, and they predict they'll sell less of these, but who knows? As I say, they're tiptoeing around um, actually being definitive in saying what it will mean. The accent is in a market segment that is, I think, down 34%, and of course the uh, venue is coming into a segment, the SUV, the small SUV, in a segment that has grown 58%. Yes, it's just... 
it's remarkable the difference. Yeah, and that shift is enormous. Still, well, we've had uh, interesting things. I drove it through the hinterland, as I said in the early segment, and uh, I just love that. I just love that countryside. You know, it's got a bit of a twisty road times. You know, you've got to keep your eye out for things, both, you know, corners that aren't too sharp, but, you know, you have to concentrate on. You have sometimes line marking, sometimes even no edge line marking or no line marking at all. And it's got that different character to it. So I enjoyed the trip as well. Mm. All right, Rob, it's always lovely to talk to you. We'll catch you up next week. David, thank you. All right, that's Rob Fraser, who does a range of uh, reporting on the anyauto.com.au website. And, of course, you can hear him here on Overdrive. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Well, here's a bit of a history lesson. The rotary engine, it was invented by the German engineer Felix Wankel back in the early 1960s. Mazda, well, they tried and tried to make the technology work, but Mazda hasn't had a rotary for years. But now, a rotary could be back under the bonnet of a Mazda car. David Brown reports. Mazda has developed a vehicle platform on which it can produce hybrids and electric vehicles. They plan to launch a fully electric vehicle next year, but plug-in hybrids are on the cards using rotary engines. As a standalone power plant, the rotary was powerful but not fuel efficient. But it has some advantages for hybrid applications. It's light, quiet and works especially well when running at a constant speed such as charging a battery. It can also easily run on various fuel types such as petrol, LPG and even hydrogen. The timing to production of the rotary-based hybrids is not clear. The priority at the moment is making the powertrain more space efficient. Overdrive Answering your questions across Australia. This has been Overdrive. The program would never happen without the help of David Campbell, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you might like to go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.